Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. December 8th edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Getting you ready for week 14. We have an extended interview with former, for now, NFL running back Rashad Jennings. He retired on Friday. Would he unretire Monday if a phone call came? You'll find out the answer to that question. Listen, he's got a great background, great story, inspirational story. It's coming up here in a few minutes. You hear the whole thing. It's an extended interview, though, so I'm going to talk less today, which is always good. He's going to talk more. Before we hear from Rashad Jennings, just a couple of news items that have popped up since we went off the air earlier today, PFT Live. Had been waiting to hear from Jerry Jones, his thoughts on the Roger Goodell contract extension. He said in his weekly Friday appearance, he does two a week, Tuesday and Friday, on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas that he had no comment. Of course, as Jerry typically does, when he has no comment, he eventually has a comment. And eventually he said that nothing about the contract surprised him and he looks forward to the league meetings next week and they're going to focus on potential improvements and changes to the NFL it wasn't quite declaring victory it wasn't quite conceding defeat and there was nothing to suggest that there's anything big that he's planning to do to try to disrupt or block or derail or sue as it relates to the Roger Goodell contract extension the Browns introduced John Dorsey today the new general manager of the team And, you know, Dorsey said all the right things, iconic franchise. I mean, he's an old school football guy, hashtag football guy, football guys guy, as my friends at Pardon My Take would say. I just don't know how I feel about tying his hands in two different directions. He doesn't know Hugh Jackson and owner Jimmy Haslam made it clear that Hugh Jackson will be the coach next year and beyond. Dorsey doesn't know Chief Strategy Officer Paul D. Podesta. Haslam made it clear that D. Podesta will be back in 2018. Now, he wasn't as open-ended regarding D. Podesta's future as he was Jackson's, but you still get the impression that both guys are going to be around for a while. And it's this arranged marriage where Dorsey, unless he's able to convince Haslam that this just doesn't work. And maybe there's a conversation that happens in January. Hey, Jimmy, I've had a chance to meet with you several times. And, you know, he seems like a really nice guy. But if you want this team to win, I know some people who I can bring in here and they can coach this team up. And if we want the right procedures out there to find the best players, you need to let me bring in this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Paul DePodesta, pretty nice guy. But I, I have a vision. And if you trust me, you have to let me execute the vision. I mean, I don't rule that out. And I don't know how. All due respect to Hugh. I like Hugh. Hugh, if you go 0-16, I don't know how you can come back as a head coach ever again in the NFL. I think that's a disqualifying event. If you cannot win one game over the course of an entire season, you should never be a head coach again. Rod Marinelli, no matter what he does with Dallas, Doomsday Defense Part 2, 1985 Bears, I don't care. Rod Marinelli went 0-16. He should never be a head coach in the NFL again. And at some point, the fan base is going to be the voice. 
that determines this. Because if Cleveland fans just continue to roll their eyes and sigh and here we go again, don't go to the games. Don't watch the games. If they're not properly putting the pieces together of a winning franchise and they're not making the changes that need to be made to point the team in the right direction, just quit supporting the team. That'll get their attention. Kenny Britt was cut as one of the first orders of business of John Dorsey, apparently. Kenny Britt, a guy that Sashi Brown really liked. Hugh Jackson never liked him. Instead of bringing back Terrell Pryor, who has been abysmal during his time with Washington, they signed Kenny Britt, and Britt already gone. He'll undoubtedly clear waivers. No one will want to claim the contract, and he'll become a free agent. He can join any team he wants. Sean Payton's most likely going to be fined. There are already reports out there that the league is looking at his interactions last night with officials. That 15-yard penalty that he drew when he stormed toward the field and was trying to ensure that they call the damn timeout. The clock is ticking. They only have so many opportunities to ensure that they'll get the ball back and have some chance to try to win the game. He met with the media today. Looking back through it, I thought the officiating was extremely poor. Inconsistent would be a good way to put it, and I thought that had a lot to do with the way the game ended. That's what's frustrating is good teams are out there fighting hard, but the calls as I went through them and the ones that weren't called, too many inconsistencies, and I think it's been a problem all year. It's going to be something to have to be addressed from a leadership standpoint at the top in our league office. That will likely get Sean Payton fined. But you know what? He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And the fact that the NFL shall not be held accountable by its member teams, what a load of crap that is. You sign away your free speech rights to a certain extent, but I don't like the idea that if you criticize the officiating, you set yourself up for a fine. And Sean's smart enough to know that he's probably going to get fined. But sometimes you take the hit and you take the heat because you want things to change for the better. There are issues. And I joked around about this earlier today, but if I was a Saints fan, I'd be thinking that last night's game was a gift from the league office to the Falcons because Arthur Blank is the one who signed off on Roger Goodell's contract extension. And I know that's not true, But when you have that kind of a night where one team has 11 penalties and the other team has four, you end up inviting that kind of thinking. And if I was a Saints fan, I'd be thinking, this is a thank you to Artie Blank, period. And also, I don't know this for a fact. Jerry Jones didn't have a ton of support among his owners. Daniel Snyder's the one we know about. I, uh... I think that Tom Benson also may have supported what Jerry Jones was trying to do. I don't know that for a fact, but wouldn't that make you even more suspicious of all the flags last night that were thrown against the Saints and, relatively speaking, not thrown against the Falcons? All right, now that I've planted that seed recklessly and irresponsibly, how about an extended conversation with former Jaguar, seventh-round pick back in 2009, would go on to play one year in Oakland, three years with the Giants. Announced his retirement today with an asterisk. Here's a conversation with Rashad Jennings. 
Okay, joining us now is promised a man who made his mark in the National Football League, beginning with the Jaguars as a seventh-round pick back in 2009, then a year with the Raiders, followed up by three seasons with the Giants. Retiring from the NFL at the age of 32, he is Rashad Jennings. Rashad, welcome back. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Give me one word that describes how you feel today on the day you've retired from the NFL. Humbled. Humbled. Humble would be the word that sums it up because I <laughs> I think back to being a six-year-old kid and saying as a overweight, asthmatic kid who in high school had a .6 GPA with all these adversities against them, whose dream was to go play in the NFL. And if you ask a six-year-old kid what you want to do one day when you grow up, and you ask a 32-year-old man, did you do it? Most most aren't able to say yes. And so I'm nothing literally but humbled to play this game that is, is, is a privilege. Um, it's just not an obligation. You know, I never took it for granted. I have no regrets. Um, I did everything the way I wanted to do it. Uh, I kept my nose clean. Um, I, I, can, I can look at... One day when I when I have a wife and when I have a family, I could look at my kids and when I tell them I chased my dreams and I did it the right way, um, it's going to be true. So back in 1991, the chubby, asthmatic, six-year-old with glasses, was that the dream of that kid in 1991? That was the kid, yes. That was my dream, man, to go play in the NFL one day, to play running back specifically. I was, oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I always was on the offensive line. Because right, I was my my little chubby tail, <laughs> couldn't I wasn't the fastest guy, I wasn't the most talented guy, and it was like he's big, so let's put him on the offensive line. What attracted you to the NFL at the age of six? So I had two older brothers, they're ten and thirteen years older than me. I was the whoops, here we go again, baby. <laughs> and uh, my parents totally thought they were done, couldn't have kids. That's what they were told, and here I come. So uh, again, two older brothers, and they both played football. And growing up, you know, I looked up to them and wanted to be just like them. And uh, But they were good. <laughs> and I wasn't. So my oldest brother, he uh, played, he graduated from Liberty University. He played actually with the Giants for one year as a fullback behind Charles Way. And then my other brother, Brian Jennings, he graduated at Virginia Tech and played um, for the Titans, Patriots, and Chargers. And here I come 10 years later. What was the moment for you, Rashad, when – it started to change when the chubby kid with glasses and asthma started to turn into what was going to be the man who played in the NFL. The turning point is many turning points. I mean, I would have to, it's two major turning points, but uh, the biggest is the relationship that I have with my dad. Um, part of asthma was my dad used to smoke a lot in the house and he used to drink a lot. And I absolutely hated it. Um, as a kid, you know, I was on, my deathbed at one point in time in the hospital blowing a peak flow and it went one centimeter and the doctors are, we're trying to figure out how I'm going to take my next breath and much less, you know, is he going to be playing a sport? And it was one day uh, in my dad's room when uh, I walked into the room after getting out of the hospital um, and he continued to smoke and drink. And um, I asked him, I said, Hey dad, this is that little chubby kid. I'm 13 years old. Say, hey, Dad, can you stop smoking and drinking to be there for me? 
He took a puff of his smoke, he took a sip of his drink, and he said, Rashad, what do you want to do when you get older? He said, a very arrogant, I said, I want to play running back in the NFL. He took another sip of his drink. He said, do you think you'll ever be able to make it to the NFL yourself without drinking and smoking? And from that day forward, I said, just to prove you wrong, with tears in my eyes, I said, just to prove you wrong, I'm never going to do it. So I'm 32 I never drink or smoke a day in my life, and it literally was just to prove my dad wrong. And in doing so, he quit smoking, he quit drinking. And so, in a weird way, me and my dad got the best relationship because we feel like that that moment is what really saved our lives from each other. Physically, the transformation for you, when did you start to realize that you had that that in you, that ability in you, that if you worked at it, if you, you, you did all the right things, put in the effort, that you were going to have the ability that so few do to make it to the NFL level? Uh, that, that happened in high school when I did a, <laughs> an experience at home. Uh, I remember coming back in the house, and my co- high school coach was like, listen, Rashad, we're going, you're going to play offensive line because you're, you're never going to be good enough to play at the collegiate level. And I was so mad. I went and stormed in the house and um, my mom said, uh, what's wrong? And I, I started putting food out on the table. I took a hamburger, put it out, McDonald's, put it out on the, on the counter. I took a glass of milk, put it out on the counter. And I took some fries, put it out on the counter. On the opposite side, I unpeeled a banana, left it there. I had a glass of water, left it there, and some chicken, um, and had a lettuce. Leave it there for a couple of days. My mom's a neat freak, so she's flipping out. But long story short, she let me finish. I came back. You can imagine how it looked. The bread was hard and thick. The burger was hard and thick. The fries was hard and thick. The milk was hard and thick. On the opposite side, the lettuce deteriorated, the chicken deteriorated, the banana deteriorated, and um, the water held as liquid. So I asked myself, uh, a very uneducated kid, huh, if this is what's going on on the outside, I wonder what's going on the inside of my body. From there, I started eating right and training right. And that's after I saw my body responding I said, if I keep this up, I might get a chance. Now, on the field, when did it finally click? What age were you when all of a sudden, hey, this is a guy we're not putting on the line anymore. This is a guy that we're going to put the football in his hands. Listen, these stories, man, I wish I could make up. This stuff is crazy. My senior, my junior year in high school, I was a fifth-string running back, all right? And um, we're playing against our high school rival. I'm going to give you the very short version. Uh, our first string running back got hurt, third got hurt, fourth got hurt. Um, then they put back in the starter. He got hurt again. Then they put in a receiver. He couldn't do anything, <laughs> so they decided to put me in. All right. First play, 30-yard touchdown. Come back on the sideline. Uh, they put in the second stringer. He, he fixed up his ankle. Eventually, they put me back in, score another touchdown. Similar situation on defense. Players just start getting hurt left and right. Um, I played defense, sat, scoop, score. I finished the game with a pick six. So I scored four touchdowns and played 14 plays the last game of my junior year. There was a Tennessee scout to come see our starting running back that game. He came up to me. He said, Rashad, listen, I came to see the starter, but I couldn't help but to notice you. How were your grades? I looked at him. I said, I got a point six. He looked at He was the first person outside of people that are, quote, unquote, supposed to support me. Um, and you don't hear it from them sometimes. He was the first person that looked at me and said, Rashad, you got potential. Get your grades right. You can play college ball. I transferred schools. I repeated my junior year. I took nine summer school classes, nine homeschool classes, rededicated myself, and never turned back. How hard was it for you to get your grades up once you decided that that's what you were going to do? 
once once I decided that's what I was going to do, it, it was hard. It was hard. It was not easy. But because I saw a end goal, because I had ambitions, because there was a reason behind why I'm working so hard um, for something to come true, it was well worth it. And the only aspect of your story that I'm not thrilled with is that you ended up at Pitt because I'm a West Virginia guy and we don't <laughs> like Pitt. And I didn't realize you were at Pitt before you went to Liberty. What brought you oh, to Pitt and, and then what caused the transfer to Liberty? Yeah, man, I remember playing there at Thanksgiving. That was the coldest game I ever played in to, uh, to this day. I was at they that game. They were throwing game. rocks at our bus. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> I wasn't throwing rocks, but I was at that game. <laughs> and the only reason I wasn't throwing rocks is because I didn't see the bus. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> um, the uh, So my transfer happened when I was at Pitt. You know, I ended up starting as a true freshman. Things are really good. I'm excited. You know, all good stuff. Then I got a phone call by my mom that my father had to get his leg amputated from diabetes. And I wanted to be closer to home. You know, 19 years old. My family's all I know and had. You know, they've been there for me all my life, and I thought to myself, I got three more years left of college. I'm going to transfer to the closest school home and um, be there. And Liberty's 10 minutes from my house. So I transferred to Liberty to be there for my family, and I got hazed and saying, you know, you're throwing away your dreams. Who's going to see you play at Liberty? But I feel the world is round, and you do what's right, and eventually it'll come back to you. How concerned were you, though, deep down, that the platform playing for a major college, you trade that in at a place where maybe you aren't noticed or maybe you don't develop because the competition doesn't push you to develop? How concerned were you in that moment that it is going to be a lot harder to get to where I want to be if I'm trying to get there from Liberty versus Pitt? Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of a logic versus emotion thing. Um, logically, that would beg, you know, what you're saying to be very accurate and true, but emotionally what was going on was more important for my, me to be there for my family. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm, a, I am, I, I'm, I'm very much a person that truly believes, man, if you, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, um, you work really hard, you treat people right, Somehow, somehow things come back, man. And so I didn't weigh that much into I'm leaving a big school to a small school. I just know when the grass is green, run. And, and so wherever you go, as long as you play football and you do it well, you do it at a high level, you treat people right. You know, that, I mean, they pay people to go find talent. And uh, so and that, that wasn't my concern. And then you come to the NFL as a seventh-round pick. Were, were you happy to just be drafted, or were you a little salty and motivated that you lasted until round seven? Salty, very salty. I, I, on, on the Kippers board, I was the uh, number one uh, best available pick for four rounds. And I'm just sitting there watching it go. I was the leading rusher in the senior bowl. You know, like – I did my part in my head. <laughs> so, yes, I thought I was going to get picked higher. But um, once once Jacksonville Jaguars called, man, all that all that went out the window. We cried, and I knew it was an opportunity. Um, and it was nothing was going to be given to me, which I've never had anything given to me, and I was going to have to go work even harder. So, um, yeah, I shoot. I know I was better than half of them guys that went in front of me. I think we had 20 running backs going in front of me, too, that year. 
why do you think why do you think you lasted as long as you did if if uh, you know you're there on on uh, ESPN top of the board best guy available why do you think it lasted as long as it did I guess it lasted because I mean I, I when I don't know I guess it's small maybe maybe small school people was worried about that or you know maybe maybe the team didn't need it at that time but then when I saw other other kids from from schools that you know nobody even ever heard of I don't even know if some of these schools even had 11 people on the field and they were getting picked and I was like man what in the world but <laughs> that's just that's the reality every player feels like they should be first of all every player feels they should be first round and if you don't feel that way then I gotta I, I'm questioning you you know what I mean um but again I, I was just thankful for that opportunity, and it's funny that it, the reason why Jacksonville even picked me up, I believe, is because they were the coaches of the South team at the Senior Bowl. So, and I was on the South team, so they actually got to work with me for that week, and so they knew me from the game, and I think that actually helped me to get drafted. They is the reason why they even picked me because they knew how I practice and how I work. They got to know me for a week. And 3,000, excuse me, 772 yards later, here you are. And I'm looking, Rashad, at the list of all the running backs taken in 2009. And there's some names here that I either never knew or have long since forgotten. And, I mean, starting with no Sean Moreno, who never lived up to his potential at the NFL level. You had a better career than him. Donald Brown, ditto. Beanie Wells, ditto. LaShawn McCoy, the one name that I think we both can agree he's had one hell of a career. But a lot of these other names, Sean Green, Glenn Coffey, Mike Goodson, Tony Fiametta, Andre Brown, Gartrell Johnson, Quinn Johnson. Who are these guys? I'll tell you what. did Did you ever know the whole list? Could you rattle them all off, all the guys who were taking in front of you? And nah, I couldn't write them all off. Nah, <laughs> there's a lot of names here. There's a lot of names. The very last one, pick 250, Rashad Jennings, last running back of the draft. Well, I tell you what, you got a heck of a story. You got you got to get somebody to write this up. I think Disney would be interested, and I'm not being sarcastic, Rashad. It's an Listen, inspirational story. I mean, kids, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there that just need an example of of what can happen. If you get yourself focused, if you're determined, no matter what hand you think you're dealt, you can always turn that hand into something better than what you maybe think it is. Yeah, honestly and truly, man, with with, with my story and, and just being very authentic with you, I'm I'm aware. Like I'm not going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's not my space. Okay, I know that. And. For, for for my story, I hope it lives to, to show people, you know, sometimes we look at superstars and the, the, the biggest names and we try to compare ourselves to them when there are when I've seen so many men that come from uh, a very either uh, an adverse situation and actually make a career out of a game and then from the game of football, then funnel that into other opportunities and live a successful life. Like I'm trying to show that, you know, I'm your average dude, man, by far. Like I'm your normal dork next door neighbor (laughs) that decided to work really hard and chase a dream and was not the most talented kid. Like I'm living proof 
that if you do the right things and you work diligently, man, things can happen your way. And we're conditioned to view the guys who are good enough to make it to the NFL as guys who were no-brainer, head and shoulders above the rest from the moment they could first put their feet on the ground. And the pro athletes stand out because that's how it usually is, right? You can spot the kid in the grade school lineup who has the best chance of any of them because he's clearly the best one. And even that kid is going to have a hell of a hard time making it to the NFL. And from your perspective where it wasn't natural, it wasn't obvious, you had to work it and work it and work it and work it and believe and believe. I mean, that's what makes it so inspirational to someone like me where it wasn't obvious and there's a lot of kids out there who maybe if they get the right push, the right motivation, the right nudge, they can do the same thing you did. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You hit it on the head. What's the bigger deal for you, playing in the NFL or winning Dancing with the Stars? Ooh, <laughs> hey, that's tough. <laughs> now, obviously, uh, obviously, playing football, you know, it's it's is is my heart. Um, now, I, I, the, the experience of doing Dancing with the Stars is is uncomparable because there's nothing uh, I've ever done before. Uh, I mean, they're total like polar opposites and in, 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 in aspects of the things that take place um, in order to be, you know, uh, recognized uh, well at both. And I mean, the opportunity was of a lifetime for me personally. It was an, a, it was an emotional journey. Truly. Uh, I got to remove my helmet. Nobody was concerned about fantasy points or stats. It was take your helmet off. Who are you as a human being? And a lot of times playing sports, obviously, people's personalities aren't often highlighted. And if they are, it's usually in a bad light for the most part. And so the show, only thing they wanted to show case was who you are. What, what makes you tick? What makes you cry? What makes you happy? And I'm the biggest, like, hopeful romantic you're going to find. So I got to, I got to live that part of me out that most people have no idea about. And, um, you know, so I, I'm appreciative of that. I got to learn about myself. I got to learn about dance and culture and communicate and the art of it. Um, and you know, that whole experience, uh, actually inspired me to, uh, write a book about, about how the art of dance equivalates to the relationship between a man and a woman, but that's going to be down the road. Um, I'm actually finishing a book now that I get to talk about in a couple of weeks. Um, but th- I, I would, I would never trade that experience that I had in either, either like, and I wouldn't have done dancing with the stars if it wasn't for football. So, you know, um, they both are endearing to me. And a lot of football players have done well on dancing with the stars and it's meant a lot to them. I remember Jerry Rice at his hall of fame induction ceremony mentioning what a big deal it was for him to win dancing with the stars and Heinz Ward cherishes the, the trophy that he received when he won it. And I, you know, obviously we look at it and say, well, guys are athletic. They're going to be good dancers. They're coordinated, et cetera. But I think because you guys know what it's like to compete at a high level, it probably is easier to step into that environment and have that inherent competition week in and week out. You've been there. You've done that. You've lived that. And that seems like maybe it gives you an edge over other people who are pulled into that environment. And they maybe haven't been in that kind of intense competition, walking out into a 70,000 seat stadium and knowing what it feels like to process your adrenaline and your emotions and go out and perform. Yes, a hundred percent. And and the, I think, I don't, I wouldn't say it's an advantage or necessarily, but the only advantage I would say an athlete has is, is 
is hours of gruesome work ethic that you have. Now, to dance is being vulnerable and going there and being there and feeling the music and, and understanding the time and accounting. Like, there's a lot of things that go into dance. But the competition, yes, but the competition is within yourself. It's not against another person. Because in football, see how football works is you got 11 people on the field. You could travel city to city. It doesn't matter if you're getting cheered on by the crowd. It doesn't matter if you're getting booed by the crowd. It doesn't matter if announcers are saying you're good. It doesn't matter if announcers are saying you're bad. You can go take whatever you want. Go win. Dancing with the stars, you don't win unless everybody else wants you to. Mm. It's a completely polar opposite. And, um, you know, so when I was able to go on tour and meet, like when you meet the people for the very reason of why you won, is it's a different feeling. The other advantage, too, and the difference between football and dancing, you don't have anyone trying to hit you while you're out there, right? You can do your thing. You can execute your plan. It's not you have a plan and they have a plan, and their plan is 180 degrees opposite of your plan, and they're going to try to stop you from doing what you want to do. Now, gravity may intervene, and uh, you know uh, the laws of <laughs> physics may keep you from doing what you want to do, but you at least don't have to worry about somebody trying to drag you down to the ground while you're trying to execute that dance move. Right, yeah. It's it's definitely different running from men that's trying to kill you versus dancing with a beautiful woman. It's definitely different. <laughs> hey, I could keep going for a long time here, but let, let me ask you just a few more questions, Rashad. I appreciate so much of your time. The Giants this year, you were there for the last three seasons. Why do you think it all fell apart for them in 2017? Yeah, it's that's, it's, it's been hard to kind of watch that. And even talking to the guys, you know, from week to week and such, um, I, being in the locker room, I know the guys there. I know who's in place and everything. And I, I, nobody expected that. Nobody in there worked for that. You know, nobody lost a, uh, their desires. And it's it's just unfortunate because you know the type of talent that's in that room. Um, you know, they only added to the team. You know, I, I think from last year on the offensive side, I believe it's just the only two that was removed was myself and Victor Cruz, and I didn't even finish um, starting. So, um, you know, so then, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because you got high expectations coming from the playoffs. But it's hard to call it because I'm not in there, you know, to say what happened. But I, I do know that – I do know this. Everybody that's a part of the organization, Jerry Reese and – Coach McAdoo, everything that they made a decision for was because they believed it to be the best decision for the team. And that, that's that's one thing I know um, that they they believed in. You got there in 2014, the year that Ben McAdoo arrived as offensive coordinator. So you're there for the two years playing in that offense while he's coordinating. And after the 2015 season, that's when they decide to make the change by firing Tom Coughlin and promoting Ben McAdoo. From your perspective, based upon what you experienced in 2014 and 2015, your first reaction in your gut when you heard McAdoo was going to be the head coach? When I heard he was, when I heard that McAdoo was going to be the, um, our head coach, I, I knew it was good. And the reason why is because when I was in those meetings, everybody responded to his voice. For me personally, I always, I've always said this. Uh, I've said this in college, and everybody should, probably thinks this way. But you know, a coach. A coach's voice has to carry in a room, and you know when 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 guys uh, you know listen 
um, and can respect somebody's voice, you always got a good coach. That's just how I feel, period. But this year and, it just and, didn't and work. Isn't that every, so, that, and when that I was it, there, that's shocking re- to responded. me. Rashad, that's shocking to me because it turned so quickly. I mean, do you think he lost his voice, or do you think that it was just other factors that he couldn't overcome? And that's what's hard because, again, coming from when I was there, you know, we went, we was in the playoffs, and we was under Coach McAdoo, and I saw people responding to his voice. And so the season that I'm not there, I'm not in those meetings anymore, so I can't speculate, you know, what's going on. Um, but, I, again, going back, I do know McAdoo is a, a very hardworking guy, and he's consistent, and he, you know what you're going to get from him. Um and uh, I personally have nothing but good things to say about him, and especially Jerry Reese as well. So it's diff- it's hard for me as an outsider. You know, obviously, if I was playing this season, I could, uh, I might could pinpoint something. But from my perspective, I have nothing but good things to say, and know that it's just unfortunate. Okay, so you're officially retired from the NFL. A starting running back from a contending team breaks his leg on Sunday, and somebody calls you up on Monday. Does your retirement end after three days? Well, I don't. I mean, if somebody called Clark Kent, does he? What's he do? <laughs> hey, he, come, he, he go. He go get put on that suit. <laughs> hey, now we'll we'll see. But now nah, I um I am I'm very humble for where I'm at, and it, it it is many things that I've been denying a long life, um, and and denying in this free agency of of taking opportunities too because I've been so dedicated and waiting uh, for a team to call. So. Um, we'll see what the time it looks like if a team called or not. Well, Rashad, regardless of whether there are any more NFL-related chapters in your book, I'm looking forward to buying, at some point, overweight, chubby kid with glasses and asthma and a six, uh, 0.6 GPA, because it's a heck of a story. And I'm, I'm so glad that you gave us the time today to to talk about it and learn about it. Um, and I hope that, uh, and I know that anybody who's listened to this has got to feel inspired by learning more about your story. And your story's just beginning. you got a long way to go, and it's going to be interesting to see what you do going forward, buddy. Thank you, man. And I, and I say to people a lot, I really uh, – the fans are awesome, and the, the majority of the people that I find that follow me support me as a person first. So I'm thankful to everyone that supports me and trusts me. The, the comments that you send to me are very uplifting, and I may not respond to everybody, but they are encouraging, and I appreciate it. Well, Rashad, all the best, and I have a feeling we'll be talking again at some point down the road. Sounds good. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you, pal. All right. Thanks again to Rashad Jennings and a great, great story. I could have talked to him for another half hour. The one thing I love about Howard Stern, I don't listen to it all the time, the interviews that Howard Stern does where you just go for an hour and the person opens up. And I think people who do interviews on his show know that you're going to open up, but you have the opportunity without the constraint. When we do PFT Live, we got seven or eight minutes before we have to take a break. It's impossible to get to a point where you have an opportunity to let someone tell a story about how they became who they are. And there are a lot of great stories out there. And one of the things I like about this platform, and look, we're, we're chipping away and plugging away and hearing guys like Rashad Jennings make me more determined to stick with the PFT PM format, right? PFT Live, 
a lot more downloads, a lot more listens. PFTPM, we're working, we're working, we're working. We're trying to get people to realize that this is a unique platform, a unique setting where we can say a lot more than what we do during a three-hour radio show because we don't have to worry about breaks. And I want to have more guests like Rashad Jennings where we can talk for a half hour, we can talk for an hour, and you can really get to know these guys and learn things about them and who they are and experiences they've had because a lot of these players can tell stories that other people will hear and say, boy, there's something from that that I can take to make my life better. And there, it's just impossible when you consider, th- think about all of the NFL content out there and how it's delivered. And it's always time, time, time. You only have so much time. You only have so much opportunity. You don't have time to really have meaningful conversations. If nothing else, I want this PFTPM podcast to become a place where players, agents, we did a long interview with Drew Rosenhaus back when it was just the PFT Live bonus, when I was on vacation and I couldn't not work. So I had like a 50-minute conversation with Drew and I had an extended conversation with Adam Gase and I want more like that. I enjoy it because I learn a lot and it does inspire me and I just assume if it inspires me, it's going to inspire you. So anyway, with that said, I'm going to shut up uh, on that. Let's talk about week 14 very quickly because I want to answer some of your questions going into week 14 as well. I'm looking at the games, and here are the ones that really jump out to me. If I could only watch four games this weekend, here are the ones I would watch. Steelers-Ravens because it's on NBC and because it always delivers. Hard-hitting game, respectful game. Ben Roethlisberger explained this week that with the Ravens, there's a respect level that isn't there with the Bengals. And it can be an intense rivalry, and people can still respect and like each other. When the Steelers play the Bengals, that doesn't apply. Steelers play the Ravens, it does apply. And I think the Ravens are going to win that game. I'm on a hot streak right now. I've got a 16-game winning streak as it relates to picking games. I blew the Cowboys-Washington game last Thursday night. Every game since then, I've gotten right. And by Sunday night, I have a feeling I'll get a game or two wrong, or three or four or five. I got the Ravens winning Sunday night. Vikings-Panthers. The Vikings have done well against Cam Newton with Mike Zimmer as the head coach. And this is the best Vikings team that Mike Zimmer has ever taken into Carolina or taken against the Panthers. I think they've beaten the Panthers once in Minnesota and once in Carolina during the time that Mike Zimmer's been the coach and Cam Newton's been the quarterback. And I think the Vikings, this team that we look at week to week, the same way the coach looks at quarterback Case Keenum and basically says... Well, if you do it again, then maybe I'll believe. And they do it. And he does it. And the reaction is, well, maybe if you do it again, we'll believe. We're getting out of, we're running out of opportunities to believe in the Vikings. If they win Sunday, and I believe they will, it will complete a five-game stretch that is even more amazing than their 6-2 and two start. Because their 6-2 and two start, you can explain it away. Well, Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone and they beat Brett Hundley. Oh, they beat Deshaun Kaiser. Oh, they beat Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, they beat Joe Flacco, who wasn't any good at the time. Oh, they beat Jameis Winston, who isn't nearly as good as we thought he was going to be. But now, since the bye, at Washington, up 18 points at one point. At home to the Rams, won by 17. At Detroit, up 17 at one point. Went into Atlanta. And shut down that offense. Held them to nine points. No touchdowns. Julio Jones, the two catches, 24 yards. Did enough when they needed to to drive down the field. 
and score points. Latavius Murray running. Case Keenum buying time with his legs until someone springs wide open. Watch the way Case Keenum moves. It's a hybrid of Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. Controlled, but not just sliding around in the pocket. Movement and always looking down the field and always spotting that guy who springs wide open, whether it's Kyle Rudolph, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, Jarius Wright, Laquan Treadwell, Michael Floyd, Somebody springs open, and Keenum finds him, and they just keep getting it done. So that's a 1 o'clock Eastern time game, and I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Seahawks-Jaguars would have dreamed that would be a great game. It should be. But give me the franchise quarterback over the guy who Chris Sims has as number 70. Of all quarterbacks in Blake Bortles. Eagles-Rams, by the way, I like the Seahawks. Eagles-Rams, I like the Eagles in that one. That should be a great game. Anxious to see how full the Coliseum is and how many of those fans are Eagles fans versus Rams fans. But the Eagles need to win a close game in a big spot. They need that confidence that they can function in that type of a setting in the playoffs. Because if you're winning by 20 points, 20 points, 20 points, 20 points, at some point, you need to teach yourself how to win a close game. Because that's going to serve you well in the postseason. Because you're not. Unless you're the 85 Bears, you're not going to be blowing people out in the postseason. The Eagles are good, but they're not not—they're not going to be blowing out the Saints, the Vikings, etc. when they get to the postseason. All right, let me answer some questions, and then we'll let you move on with your day. At Gregory J. Sousa, can you see Cleveland sneaking a W this weekend? Let me tell you, I picked the Browns yesterday. We published the picks at PFT, and as soon as I hit published, I went to Twitter and I saw that Sashi Brown had been fired, and it's like, man, I wish I would have known that before I picked the Browns to win. And I don't know whether I would have picked the Packers or the Browns. I don't know what factor that has. But to the extent that it's an endorsement of Hugh Jackson, it probably makes it more likely that the Browns are going to win. So I do think the Browns are going to win. We had Mike Daniels on PFT Live today, the Packers defensive lineman. He talked about what you have to do to to not let your guard down against a team that hasn't won a game. And I don't think the Packers are going to take the Browns lightly. I just don't think the Browns are horrible. They're not losing 53-10 to 10 every week. They just haven't closed out a game yet. And maybe Sunday is the day they close out a game. At home, they're running out of opportunities. And I still think, no matter what Jimmy Haslam says, if Hugh Jackson goes 0-16, he cannot come back next year as coach of the Browns. At Twins Info News, who do you see as the face of the NFL in five years and in ten years? Well, look, Russell Wilson in five. Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz in five years. Ten years, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is in year two. He's going to be around for a long time. Ten years, maybe still Russell Wilson. The biggest names and faces in the NFL... Most of them are on the wrong side of 30. A lot of them are on the wrong side of 35. And that's the challenge for the NFL now. Identifying, cultivating, promoting the young stars who are going to be the star players of tomorrow. With Odell Beckham Jr., I guess in five years he'll still be part of the face of the NFL. I don't know that for sure. And there are guys currently in college, guys currently in high school. But get ready for a lot of Carson Wentz over the next 10 years. Get ready for a lot more Russell Wilson. He told me earlier this week he wants to play until he's 45. That's 16 more years of Russell Wilson. Take that, Stats. Stats is not happy as a 49ers fan that he's got 16 more years of Russell Wilson, 16 more years of hashtag GoHawks. 
at Pickleman 45. Will the Bills see Nathan Peterman part two on Sunday? I think it's all up in the air, Tyrod Taylor or Nathan Peterman, because Taylor's got in the injury. Right, right now, I don't know. They've got the Colts coming to town, though. I'd like to think with either guy they can win, but with Peterman, that meltdown that we saw against the Chargers, you, oh boy, ugh. At B-Flow, faux show. Pittsburgh plays down to an opponent, like you say, but I believe the Ravens win on Sunday night. What will stop them from winning? Well, look, the Ravens' offense is the big weakness. The defense is great. The offense has to hold up its end of the bargain. And one of the encouraging things from the Ravens' perspective against the Lions was once the Ravens were up 20 to nothing and the Lions started to claw their way back into it, I did not mean that's not the pun, stupid pun. Didn't mean that. The Lions started to work their way back into it much better. The Ravens' offense stepped up and scored again. So the offense, there will be times where they need to drive the field and they need a field goal or a touchdown. They can't just rely on the defense. So what would stop them from winning is just flat-out inability to move the ball against the Pittsburgh defense. And if they get clamped down upon by the Pittsburgh defense, it's going to be a long night. But I I think the Ravens will win. I, I think there is something to be said. And I hope this isn't me hoping one of my one of my goofy theories ends up coming to fruition, but I really do believe Mike Tomlin's comments about the Patriots are detrimental to the Steelers because it's a signal to opponents that the Steelers are looking past them. Whether it's whoever the Steelers play in the divisional round or whether it's the Ravens now, looking past the Ravens and looking toward the Patriots. And look at the way the Steelers have played the last several weeks. Even when they blew out the Titans, it was uninspired and barely beat the Colts. They barely beat the Packers. They barely beat the Bengals. And I think that they're going to barely lose to the Ravens on Sunday. Uh, At Pierre Dillinger, why does PFT always wear sunglasses? I assume that question is in relation not to me. I'm the real PFT. The question is in relation to PFT commenter. The Barstool sports personality from Pardon My Take. He always wears sunglasses to perpetuate this strange, almost like Kiss was back in the 70s, like when they were never photographed without makeup, even though people knew what they really looked like. People just went along with it. He always keeps the sunglasses on so no one will know who he really is, although more and more people know who he is. And I've seen some comments on Twitter in response to references to PFT commenter, because I know his name. And I can tell that people are starting to know who he is. And at some point, the question is, when does that really catch on? Or does anyone really care? I don't think anyone really cares. I think it's just funny. He's PFT commenter. That's who he is. And at some point, people will know his name and people won't care because he's PFT commenter or PFT, although I am the real PFT. He's PFT junior at best, although my kid's probably PFT junior. I don't know who he is. I know who he is, but I don't know what... I, I, I refer to him as his first name. That's how I get around the whole PFT thing. At B Flofo Show, Keenum is about to turn into a pumpkin. We'll see. That's been the the perception all year long. I don't think that a pumpkin is coming. I think that injury is the only thing at this point that would derail him. Shaken Blake 95, chances that John Dorsey goes after Kirk Cousins this offseason and trades away the number one pick. I wouldn't rule it out. Hugh Jackson's offense is basically the offense that Kirk Cousins is running with Jay Gruden. What's Washington going to do? They're going to let him hit the open market. If they do, you go get Kirk Cousins. They asked John Dorsey today about Alex Smith, and I got the impression that Alex Smith is a product of 
that offense that the Chiefs run and that he fit with what Andy Reid's doing. And, you know, it's easy to look at Alex Smith and say he's going to be available this year. John Dorsey should go get him. But I don't I, – I didn't get the impression that that's something that John Dorsey's going to do. Probably shouldn't be talking about Alex Smith at all since he's under contract with the Chiefs. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something like going after Kirk Cousins. I really want to see, though, how this arranged marriage works. Because the last arranged marriage between Hugh Jackson, Sashi Brown, and Paul DePodesta didn't work. Will this one work with John Dorsey in the role of Sashi Brown? At BFLOFO Show, which is more likely Broncos or Browns winning a game? I have both teams winning this weekend, and the Browns play first, so they're more likely to win first. The Broncos play later. At L. Sticky's Lair. How many Super Bowls will Deshaun Watson win with the Texans? Will he go easy on them and win like 10? Will he be ruthless and win them all? Look, we, we talked earlier about faces of the NFL. I forgot about Deshaun Watson. Out of sight, out of mind. He's going to be the face of the NFL in five years, in 10 years. Deshaun Watson. Sign me up for more Deshaun Watson. I think he's fantastic. I, I think he's a great person. He's exactly the kind of player that the NFL needs to be showcasing. And... One would be sufficient. I don't know how many more he'll win beyond one. And it is very difficult to win that one. But when you look at how good the Texans have been without a good quarterback, if they can continue to put a good team on the field around Deshaun Watson, they can win one sooner than later. At Mr. Juan Public, let's talk about how anyone having to do anything with the Falcons offense still has a job (laughs) and how the Falcons defense couldn't cover Michael Thomas all game long. They did win, Mr. Juan Public. Did you not stay tuned for the end of the game? They stopped the Saints defense or or Saints offense and they scored enough points to overcome the Saints defense. Come on, man. At Fittison Kane. Even taking into account 2016's Thursday Night Football being a worse set of teams with Bengals-Steelers up 30% in the ratings, is there something to the idea that fans appreciate the harder hits and more physical games and that's the cure to the NFL's ratings woes? That's a great question. Because there is a disconnect, in my view, between what the media has to say about the violence in football and what the fans and the players have to say about it. The players know what they've signed up for. The players embrace what they've signed up for. And the consumers want football to be the way football once was, with some exceptions. I don't sense any type of bloodlust that they want the devastating helmet-to-helmet hits to return. But I do sense that the fans are okay with it. The players are okay with it. The fans are okay with it. Rough-and-tumble, violent football. Watch the UFC. I said that earlier this week. Get one of the pay-per-views on UFC, and you will be amazed at how much more brutal that is than football. And there is a disconnect between many in the media, and I don't know why that is. I really do think that a lot of people in the media fear being scrutinized and ridiculed by others in the media. I don't care about that. They want approval of their peers in the media. They want awards. They want recommendations. They want consideration. They want friends. They want, look, I got enough friends. I don't need friends in the media. I cover the the sport. But I don't know what it is that drives so many people who are in this business to worry about the health and welfare of grown men who are perfectly capable of making the decision to play football or not play football. 
And I do think some in the media want to be witnesses to and or responsible for the demise of the NFL. I mean, think about how journalism works. You go to school and you practice, learn, study journalism, and then you go look for a job. And you take whatever job you can find. And I personally think there are a lot of people who cover football that don't like football. They just found a niche there or they've been assigned that beat and they're going to work football until they get the baseball beat that they want or the basketball beat that they want or the political job that they covet. I, in the broader sphere of journalism, I get the impression that the journalists who actually report on real news look down their noses at those of us who report on sports and you know I just think some of the people who cover football aren't covering football because they love it they're covering football because they need a job and they're journalists and covering football is a better alternative to not being a journalist so there's some resentment there they don't love what they're covering and God what a life that would be I've had jobs like that where I didn't love what I was doing and thank God that I found this one because i I'm not a journalist. I cover this by choice. So, and you can call me a show for the NFL if you want. I mean, if you do, it means you're not paying attention because I'll criticize the league's business practices, decisions. I try to get those who are responsible for the league, the stewards of professional football, to behave as responsibly as they can. But on this issue, and I know, I'm sorry, at Fittison Kane, I know it's a really long answer to your question, but I agree there's something to be said for not shying away from rough and tumble football. And the one concern that I have for the NFL, if it ever does go too far with safety concerns and fundamentally changes the nature of the game, like getting rid of the three-point stance, John Madden mentions that from time to time. If you fundamentally change how football looks and how football feels, you are setting the stage for a competitor to the NFL that will thrive a hell of a lot better than the UFL, WFL, USFL, whatever other FL has been out there that has tried to compete with the NFL. Let's see what else we got. I need to go. I'm taping this without factoring in the half hour that I did with Rashad Jennings. So I feel like I need to talk more, but it's a, it's occurring to me that this thing's probably an hour at this point. Let me just see if there's any, I'm looking for one more question. Let me find a walk off. I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. How about this one? At the Impact 99. This is a good question. Panthers, Falcons, or Seahawks? Who makes the playoffs? Who watches the playoffs? Now, this meshes with something that I've been saying for the past few days. You look at the teams who are in contention in the NFC right now. Uh, Eagles, they win the East, and ain't nobody else getting in. Vikings win the North, nobody else getting in. South, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. West, Rams, Seahawks. You got five teams and four spots. Now, the two winners of the division obviously get in. You got two wildcard berths for three teams. So, Panthers, Falcons, Seahawks. And the Falcons just beat the Saints. How about all three get in and the Saints are on the front end of a collapse and they wash out of the postseason altogether. They're nine and four. The Panthers could match them at nine and four. The Falcons are at 8-5, and five and they'll have an opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks to play the Saints in their own building. That's a possibility. Don't rule that one out. Don't rule out the Rams sliding out. If the Rams lose to the Eagles, 
on Sunday, and I believe they will. And then they lose to the Seahawks in Seattle next Sunday, and they very well could. You could see the Rams suddenly with five losses. You could see the Rams, a team that we have assumed, because they've finally gotten onto the right side of 500. They've finally gotten to nine wins. Bruce Arians can no longer ridicule them. You could see the Rams on the outside looking in. They go to Tennessee week 16. They finish with a visit from the 49ers. They could lose three in a row. The Rams could be out. So I'm not really answering the question. Maybe all three. Maybe the question is all three make it, and it's either the Rams or the Saints who end up sitting at home. All right, on that note, I'm going to shut up. Enjoy the weekend. We will do PFT Live on Monday from Stamford, Connecticut. Chris Sims and I reacting to week 14, and then I will leave on a jet plane, come back home, and do the PFTM podcast not long after I get home on Monday. Appreciate all your support. Check us out at Apple Podcasts or wherever else podcasts are. Review, rate, subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. Lather, rinse, repeat. Again, I'm in this PFTPM podcast for the long haul, at least until I lose interest in it. And I know that, look, it sometimes it just takes time and sometimes you got to chip away and chip away and chip away and chip away. But I think this can be a fun platform where we can learn a lot of great stories and have a lot of great guests. And we've, we've done, I think very well from that perspective so far, we just hope to get this to the point where more and more people are enjoying it. And uh, hopefully you have, if you're listening at this point, that means you have, have a good weekend. See you Monday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.